If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, we have a little bit of a heavy episode today. And so before we dive into this episode, I want to provide a little bit of a roadmap for the conversation ahead. We're going to be speaking with Beth Eversole, and we're going to be discussing a topic that is serious and potentially triggering for some people. And the topic that we're going to be discussing is suicide prevention. We fully acknowledge that this topic may be distressing for some of you. And if it is, it might be best to sit this episode out. I want you to prioritize your health and your safety. And I also just want to make sure you know that if you or someone you know is struggling, please remember that they are not alone and help is available. You can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at any time by dialing 988. This helpline provides free and confidential support 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And with that, I am going to start to introduce Beth Eversol. She is an LCSW, which for anyone who's like, okay, Dolph, what is that? That's a licensed clinical social worker and also a licensed chemical dependency counselor. In addition to being a clinician, she is also an executive. So she is the chief executive of the Palmer Drug Abuse Program in Houston. And the Palmer Drug Abuse Program offers teens and their families a safe and secure place to recover. Let me just really quickly as an aside tell you, though, what's so amazing and special about that organization. They do this free of charge. So there are a lot of resources out there for people with resources, with insurance or with money, there's not a lot of resources out there for people without money and insurance. And so I will also, I do have to share with you that a couple years ago, she was recognized by the Houston Business Journal as the most admired CEO in the region. She is passionate about the work that she does, and she is also passionate about personal and professional development fundraising, and program improvement, which means we may have to have her on another time to talk about fundraising and program improvement, because today we are going to be having a conversation about really 
how to have those conversations when a client, a friend, a colleague, or a loved one expresses suicidal thoughts. Beth, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm just really honored to be here. I love listening to this podcast and help me so much in my career. Well, thank you, Beth. And before we hit record, I was saying that one of the reasons I think this conversation is so important is I imagine that a lot of the friends who are listening right now probably thought to themselves, okay, this is an important topic, but I don't know if I'm going to need it. And you had shared with me that you were a suicide loss survivor, and you also graciously allowed me to ask you about that. Yes, that's right. I am a suicide loss survivor. As we record today, today is the birthday of the colleague and friend that I lost. And so this is a real honor to be able to be here and advocate and talk about suicide prevention. Beth, I'm I'm really grateful that you're willing to share that. And I just, I know today also has to be a little bit of a sad day for you. And so I, I before I move forward, I just want to recognize that. And I would like to ask if you'd be willing to share a little bit more. Certainly, I would be honored to share more. I think it's something that we never think can happen to us, especially in this field and with colleagues that are aware of kind of the risks and the warning signs. And we might think, well, what did we miss or what could we have done? And back in 2019, I lost my colleague and friend to suicide. And it was an extremely hard time for me. And then we went into 2020. I found a lot of support through therapy myself and grief support groups, online support groups for suicide loss survivors. And those were just really transformational for me. First of all, I'm really glad that you were able to find the support that you needed. And I know you also had mentioned, you often then look back and, you know, you ask, what if? And as a clinical social worker, you've always understood the importance of us talking about suicide prevention and being there for people. And so when we're in conversations with people who maybe are thinking about suicide, what are some ways that we might be able to know that? There are some risk factors and warning signs that I'd like to talk about. You know, I think the top three risk factors are if someone is directly having a conversation about it that shows intent. So they might say things like, I can't take it anymore. I want to end it all. I wish I were dead. Everyone's better off without me. And those phrases kind of show us that they're feeling a sense of burdensomeness, purposelessness, meaninglessness in their life. And they're major red flags that I think first we have to remember no matter what they're saying or how they're saying it, we need to take it very seriously. And there are warning signs. The top three warning signs I would say to look out for are outside of the kind of verbal clear intention are people all of a sudden kind of giving away their possessions, especially prized possessions, kind of severe or intense and sudden fluctuations in mood or their thoughts or behaviors. So you know, sleeping patterns and eating patterns are really disrupted during those times. And one that we may not really look out for because it kind of can deter us is a sudden change in mood that results in calmness. So you see them as very calm or a mood improvement. And the reason I mentioned that one is because they may have been going through these 
struggles and suffering so much that once they came to the decision that they were going to end their life, they became calm and focused on that as relief. And so if you've noticed any of the other risk factors or warning signs in context of that, you would also want to take action. So Beth, you're a clinical social worker and I'm not. And so I definitely want your guidance and your advice on this. So if I were to see those warning signs, how do I start that conversation? It's a really great question. I think, first, I want to remind everyone that it's quite distressing. And so noticing those things inside yourself, your body, your own reactions. And in that distress, the most important thing is to stay calm. And that creates a sense of safety in a safe space for someone to be able to open up and talk more. So first, you just want to say, you want to notice what's been going on with them. If you've seen a change, I notice you're struggling or I notice you might be going through something. I'm here to listen. I'm here to talk to you more about it if you want to talk about it. And I think, you know, being a good listener is great. Being calm and all of that is really helpful. But the most important thing you can do is ask directly if you're concerned. So, you know, we fear that if we do ask directly or we bring up the topic of suicide that we're going to put ideas in someone's head or we may make it worse. And there are ways we can avoid making it worse, which I can talk about as well. But I want people to know that you don't have to be an expert to ask directly. You don't have to be a clinical social worker or in the field to ask directly. And the way you would want to do that, you could even say, I'm not sure the right words to say or what to do right now. But I want to know, are you thinking of harming yourself? Do you have a plan to end your life? And you kind of go from there. So you can say, I'm sorry you're going through this. How long have you felt this way? Do you have support system? If you're not clear about what their support system looks like or if they're in therapy. Asking these questions directly will give you more information about how to help them. I find that phrase very helpful that you just said, which is, I'm not sure how to ask this. That's really helpful. Just to acknowledge that up front, like, okay, there might be no right way for me to ask this question, but I feel the need to. And you'd mentioned that there are some things that we could say or do that would make it worse, not better. Yeah. So there are some things we want to avoid, and it can be hard when you might have some ideas of the stigma around suicide. You may find yourself wanting to deny that it's even happening and what's going on. So You don't want to deny what's happening. You want to be able to address it, as I said, directly. You want to avoid any blame or criticism and judgments that might feel like they're coming up and avoid stigmatizing language. You definitely do not want to promise to keep secrets. They may ask you to keep their secret. Please don't keep your secret. A couple other ways that are unhelpful. You want to avoid talking about the pros and cons of suicide. They may want to get you into a conversation about that. And you don't want to lecture them and you don't want to challenge them for shock effect because those show that they're unhelpful. And I'm sorry, challenge them for shock effect. I'm not sure I know what that means. Yeah. So, you know, someone might feel the urge to shock them out of it by saying like, well, these are the consequences if you do this. And that can be, you know, very scary. And people get, you know, they may feel backed into a corner and lash out in that way. But 
it doesn't change their mind. It could make them more defensive and more closed off. I'm also really curious. You mentioned this is not the time to say, okay, I'm going to respect this conversation and keep it private. I won't tell anybody else. This is not the time to do that. I could also see a world maybe where I'd already agreed, okay, this conversation is just between us. How do I back out of that? The thing that comes to mind for me is you can always say, you know, since we've been talking more, I need to go back and revise that because I care about you. And I know that the way to do this is if I'm able to get you help. Can we talk about ways to do that together? So it doesn't feel so much like you are betraying their confidence, but you can revise it because it's a very serious thing. And there are a lot of ways I can see that being very effective because I obviously you're including the person, like, how can we do this together? What if you're like, no, you know, if they respond and say, no, you agreed you weren't going to tell anyone. I'm sorry, but I care about you enough that I have to do this. And it's okay with me if you get mad at me. And it sounds like in even approaching that conversation, I have to know that I need to be ready to do that. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. So let's say I'm having a conversation with someone and they are open to maybe some help or some intervention. What are some of the things, again, not as not as a clinician, what are some of the things that I can do that I have the skill set to do? So I think, you know, the number that you mentioned at the beginning of the show, the 988 number is a resource that you want to have in your pocket and always 911 for emergency calls. Being empathetic and offering support will feel very validating and that can really change a situation. You can ask them about their support group and who they might call during crisis times. And if they have someone, you can offer to call that person with them or offer to call that person for them. You can offer to find a therapist for them or with them if they don't have one or a psychiatrist or offer to make an appointment with them, offer to sit with them as they are in the waiting room to the appointment. So showing them that they're not alone is really important step in that support. Are there any helpful phrases? Yes, I would say, can we talk about what steps to take together? Is it okay if I sit with you while we take the next step? You're important to me and I want to find support for you that you need. And I understand that it's hard to ask for help. And I understand you might be afraid to be hospitalized. Some people are afraid that that's going to happen if they're feeling suicidal, which you know, if their suicide risk is imminent, we would want them to get that level of help. But the real fear of being hospitalized for some people, and you may want to acknowledge something like that if you've heard that kind of thing in their description of what's going on and let them know that they don't have to go through that alone either. I can absolutely see where those phrases would be helpful. Thank you. You had shared with me, and I know we're going to share this with our listeners, a suicide prevention handout. And one of the things that you had mentioned about handout is that there's some high-risk populations. Yes, there are some high-risk populations that we want to be aware of. Those are Native Americans, Alaskan Natives, veterans, LGBTQIA plus community, youth and young adults, suicide attempt survivors. So if they've had an attempt in the past, that's a huge predictor that they may have an attempt in the future. Suicide loss survivors and disaster survivors are at risk. And some of the statistics that are out right now are that 
Suicide is the second leading cause of death of those aged 10 to 34 against accidents. So it's risen to be the second leading cause of death for them. And it's the 10th leading cause of death for adults in the U.S. Middle-aged people, especially men, have the highest rate of risk of suicide compared to other groups. 80% of all deaths by suicide in the U.S. are among men and women aged 45 to 54. And the sad but true statistic is that since 2021 statistics have come out, is that the suicide rate has risen, creating a loss by suicide every 11 minutes. And the hope is that by talking more about it, having these conversations openly, and even practicing talking about these conversations so that if you're ever in a situation where you need to and they come up, we can kind of dispel the darkness and save lives. So I have to say that, unfortunately, I am not surprised that suicide is a higher risk for people who are parts of First Nations people who are LGBTQIA, who are vets and who are youth. I was surprised at the 45 to 54-year-old group being a high risk. Why is that? There are a lot of factors. During that age group, there can be a lot of changes in kind of reflecting on your life in certain ways. There are a lot of pressures family-wise, financially, that really play, you know, there's not a single factor in suicide or one that kind of stands above the rest outside of the risks that we've already talked about in the warning signs. But I would say it's kind of the stages that people are going through at that age. I'd like to pivot for just a moment. I've said probably a hundred times already, you're a clinical social worker. I say that because I'm always in awe of clinical social workers. My clinical social workers change the world and save lives. So, um, so, but so in addition to being a clinical social worker, you're also the CEO of a nonprofit. And so I think you have a unique perspective on what our nonprofit organizations and, you know, almost all of our listeners are decision makers at one level or another in a nonprofit. And so what can our nonprofits do so that our organizations are really aware of and really work towards suicide prevention within our own nonprofit, like our own individual nonprofit, our colleagues, our clients, the family members of our colleagues and our clients? That's a really great question. The first thing that comes to mind for me is training. Training as soon as you are a new employee, training, you know, on a regular scheduled basis, having these conversations in an open and honest way and allowing your culture and your nonprofit to have a place for those authentic and honest conversations so that people know if they're struggling, they can show up to work. Because a lot of people name their colleagues and their closest friends that they're working with as someone that they would tell if they're feeling So my next management question, and again, I hate to make it sound that way, but you know, so if I'm the CEO of an organization or if I'm somebody's manager or somebody's coworker even, and I believe that suicide from a colleague is imminent. You know, obviously, if it's a client and there's a clinical social worker around, you know, there, there's terrorists off. There's other ways to deal with that. But if I believe that suicide is imminent with a colleague, what action should I be taking? That's a really great question. I think all the phrases and directly asking and those things that we've covered, you want to go there first with them. And if it's imminent, like you said, take action immediately. And the way that you can do that is to let them know that you need to 
And there are a couple different options. So you could offer to call 988 and they could further tell you kind of the steps if you're feeling you know, flustered or not sure what to do next, they're right there for crisis support and they can really walk you through the steps. Always have available 911 in the event because this is an emergency. It's a life-threatening situation. And probably the most important thing is you want to sit with them. Don't let them leave if you can and sit with them until they get further help. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. And I'm about to ask you the -the off-the-map question. Before I do, because it's such a stark shift in the topic, friends, I just again want to remind you that if this conversation has brought anything up for you or if it maybe has made you realize that there is someone in your life that maybe you should be thinking about some risk prevention with, always know that you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 988. Let me repeat that. It is 988. Always know you can do that. And I just, I want to do that before we before we shift topics because we're about to go to something that might not feel lighter to some, but it certainly feels a lot lighter to me. So, Beth, for the off-the-map question, I got a good one. I was I spent some time on your LinkedIn page, and I saw that you are a certified financial social worker. And I looked it up, so I kind of know what it is, but would love for you to share what a certified financial social worker is. So, as a certified financial social worker, you can include professional and personal development around finances and improvement of your finances in your work with clients. So it may be coaching, it may be through financial therapy, but it's a way to really have those conversations about finances because finances are the number one stressor for all of us. So Beth, I'm so glad that you shared that. I also want to make sure that our friends know If you're like me, so I have a BSW, my graduate degree is in something else. So if you have a BSW and you don't have an MSW, this is actually a certification you can get with a BSW. I was really impressed at that. So again, if you have a BSW and you're like, oh, I'd like to be a certified financial social worker, that is an option for you. And I actually really like the egalitarian nature of that. I do too. I really appreciate the Center for Financial Social Work and everything that they provide. They provide free trainings once a month and you're able to get a support network and kind of explore how to help people with finances. That's awesome. And so along those lines, Beth, I was hoping that you could maybe offer some advice. So let's imagine that there's a friend who's listening who is a mid-career social worker, maybe even the executive director, but still with limited retirement savings, has some credit card debt, still has some student loans, may or may not be making house payments yet, may or may not still be renting. What financial advice would you have for that social worker? I think that's a really common place to be, actually. And it's so many factors that it feels like they're really conflicting with one another. First, I would say if you do have student loans and you're working for a nonprofit, consider looking into the public service loan forgiveness and see if it's an option for you. The number one thing that comes to mind, though, is we often think that if we have some type of a debt and we need savings, that we need to pay our debt off first to get out from and under the debt. And that's a really logical way to think about it. The way to approach it that will be set you up for success and more stability in your future is to try to save while you're paying off debt. Your debt may not be paid off as quickly, but you will start to gain interest in your savings and your retirement accounts that will set you up for success in the future. So it's really hard for us to think of what our future self is going to need 
because we're kind of just doing this thing called life and focusing on the here and now. But that's what's really going to set you up for success is being able to save while you're paying down debt. So that's the message then. Keep saving. Even if you still have some debt, keep saving. Thank you for that message, Beth. That's a really important message. And Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. And my friends, I, you know, always want to leave you with a way that you can find out more. So if you want to know more about Beth, you can go to her LinkedIn page, and we have linked to that in our show notes. If you want to know more about her organization, that's the Palmer Drug Abuse Program in Houston, you can go to pdaphouston.org. And I'll also share with you that they are going to be putting their 2023 Suicide Prevention Handout, which has a lot of the things Beth and I talked about today. They're going to be putting that on their website, and we're going to link to that in the show notes as well. Beth, thank you so much for coming on today. I feel confident that what you have shared with our friends will ripple forward and likely save lives. Thank you. Thank you so much, Doc, and thank you to your listeners. All right, friends. If you're not sure about those URLs, there's really only one, pdaphouston.org. If you could not write that down, you can always go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and we will have all those links, the links to Beth's LinkedIn page, to PDAP Houston, and also to the 2023 Suicide Prevention Handout on their website. And, you know, I always ask this, if this is a conversation that you thought was important and you're like, yeah, other people in my organization or other people in my network should be thinking about suicide prevention and should be aware of it, I want you to consider forwarding this episode. This is literally an episode that if you forward can help somebody save a life. So I do want you to consider forwarding it. That, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And you know, I've never loved the disclaimer, but gosh, the lawyers really do make me do it. And so lately, I've just been throwing it in ChatGPT. So I asked ChatGPT to share the disclaimer with me as if it was a game show. So here is the disclaimer. It's time to play my favorite game, What Am I Not? Well, I'm certainly not an accountant or attorney. And the prize for guessing that, well, guess what? It's absolutely nothing. And the reason is because this is not a real game show. Our podcast is for informational purposes only. And you know what that means, don't you? Yes, that's right. That means just like a game show, you should not rely on it for tax, legal, or accounting advice. And let me also say, while we're talking about that, you should also not rely on this episode for clinical advice or for clinical counseling. Please, if that is what you need, find a licensed, qualified professional in your area and get the counsel, the advice, and the help that you need.